the dark hours, in the antique books, in the letters long lost and forgotten. There are tales of horror to frighten and disturb. Come, join us as we delve deep into the darkness. Into the sleepless hours when you dare not close your eyes. Brace yourself. For the No Sleep Podcast. Volume 16, Chapter 3. Welcome, sleepless listeners. I'm your host, David Cummings. A big thanks to everyone who joined our live performance of Bavi Sana on our Twitch channel last weekend. If you missed it, the video is available on both our Twitch and YouTube channels. Follow us at twitch.tv slash the no sleep podcast so you'll know when we do other live performances and all the other game streams we do. Now, as many of you will know, I've been receiving mysterious packages through our No Sleep Podcast P.O. Box. Well, two so far, as of last week anyway. Usually, we would never accept story submissions in this manner, but something about these, the authenticity, the attached correspondence, encouraged me to run them on the show. Then, I received a third package this week. I believe it shall be the last single piece of correspondence, (laughs) I hope. It frames itself as a final test, and the following events, which I made sure to record as per the instructions, have left me to believe I have passed. As per the previous two packages, this one came with a note attached. Unlike the others, though, the main contents are an entire book. Before I explain more about that, allow me to read the attached letter. Dearest David, Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. You followed the instructions in my last correspondence to the letter, pun intended. I know you like puns, don't you? That's right, I keep a close eye on you, obviously. Otherwise, how would I know that you're just the man I'm looking for? Unfortunately, while I am almost sure that you are, there is one final experiment I need to test. As you will no doubt have seen, enclosed with this letter is a book. To any normal person, it will read like an ordinary novel, albeit a choose-your-own-adventure game book. You can play it again and again. You can have fun with it. But you, David, if you are the man I'm looking for, there should only be one path through the book. And if you are able to follow the path, as I believe you are capable, then the final piece will fall into your lap, and the true game can begin. I write to you today as one Charlie Davenport. It's a name you might recognize, and thus a name you know does not belong to me, much like the previous names. This will be the last time I contact you using a nom de plume in this manner. In fact, if all goes to plan, you shan't hear from me for a while now. Please read the book I've enclosed. The rest will be obvious. Yours faithfully. Charlie Davenport. 
Now, naturally, I glanced over the book. It does look like a standard choose-your-own-adventure book. It has the author, Charlie Davenport, on the cover. It has the title and an image of a house. But when I flicked through it, all but the first page was nonsense, unreadable, a language I couldn't make head nor tail of. I had no idea how this would work, but I followed the instructions. I began reading from page one, and things became clearer. What follows is the audio of me uh, playing the book, entitled The Runaway Adventure. Warning! Do not read this book straight through from start to finish. These pages contain many different paths you can take as you try to reach safety. From time to time as you read along, you will be required to make a decision. Your decision may lead to victory or to tragedy. The paths you take will be the result of the decisions you make. After you make your decision, follow the directions to find out what happens to you next. <laughs> Here we go. Page 1. It's been a hundred miles or more since you packed up everything you own and simply left in the middle of the night. You drive for hours, long past the point where your eyelids threaten to pull themselves down and snap shut tight over your aching eyes. Still, you push on. Every hour spent on the road means more miles between you and everything back at the house. From the dinners you sat through with nothing but angry silence passing between you the creak of your bedroom door in the early morning hours. You drive until there is just a thin sheen of fuel left in the tank, and your spine screams in protest, demanding that you get out of the car and stretch. You debate for some time, but when the gas station, with its promise of 24-hour operation, comes into view, practicality takes over. Besides, you're two states away from where you started, and that has to be far enough for a start. As you stand out in the early October chill, operating the pump and filling up as far as your meager savings will allow, your eyes drift over to a stand of skeletal trees opposite the station. And there it is, the house beyond the tree. Its shingles are gray from exposure, smeared green from the mold that neglect has allowed to encroach. The front porch bows in the middle from the weight of so many heavy winter snowfalls looking like a welcoming grin. Suddenly a light from inside. The one by the front hallway comes on. You know that if you stand there a moment more, you will see your him step out onto those dilapidated steps and light his first Marlboro of the evening. He will see you, and then you'll be home. Do you dare go inside? If so, turn to page five. If not, go on to the next page. Hmm, if I've learned anything from stories on the podcast, it's that you don't head straight into the creepy, horrifying house. So, let's go on to the next page, I think. Page 2 The pump makes a whirring ding, indicating that your tank is full, and you snap out of your wool-gathering daze. You roar away from the station, your gas cap occasionally clanging against the car as you do. Five miles or so down the road, you finally managed to convince yourself that it had simply been a place that looked a little bit like your home. You are road-weary and bone-tired, 
and folks are prone to their minds playing tricks on them when they're in such a state. If you try to sleep on the roadside, even knowing what might be waiting out there in the dark for you, turn to page 9. If you press on and keep driving, likely as you are to wrap your car around a tree, turn to page 13. Hmm, sleeping on the roadside seems risky, but so does wrapping my car around a tree. (laughs) I feel like the book's kind of giving me a hint by mentioning that. I'm going to go for page 9. Here we are, 9. You pull your car off to the side of the road and feel an aching exhaustion start to flood over you. To drive any further is to risk ending up in a ditch. You recline your seat back as far as you can to try to get comfortable. Before you know it, you feel that heavy tug of sleep. It's around six when the sunlight pokes through the windshield and your eyes open to see the condensation rapidly vanishing as the heat rises. You can see the faint lines of an arrow drawn by a fingertip directing you to look out the passenger side window. Your eyes track along the dashboard until you see it rising in the early light. The house is off to your right again. If you run from the strange house just like you always run from everything, turn to page 15. If you hold your ground like a big girl, turn to page 5. Well, I'm not sure about the accusation that I run from everything, but again, creepy house, obvious death. Begrudgingly, page 15 it is. Mm Hmm, page 15. You tear off, scraping the guardrail in your panic, and stop only when your tank is dry. You fill up again and put your foot to the floor until you hit Toledo. It was a journey of a thousand miles or so, and you've seen your battered and blighted homestead a dozen more times since then. Just off the right-hand turn lane, next to a diner in Gary, Indiana. In the middle of an open field, under gray skies with mountains worn by countless seasons standing behind it, out somewhere in Wyoming. You make an illegal left and scream away as fast as you can. When you're taking the exit off Route 84 and see it wedged beneath an overpass in a place called Ogden... Each time as it would fall into view, you would see that light come on, welcoming you back to that place, the only place you'd ever been able to call home. You drive through Utah and most of Idaho without stopping, running until either you or your car is on empty, and then you try to sleep, always in the car on some roadside or a parking lot, like some kind of common tramp. As you cross into Oregon, a place not so unlike where you started, you stop seeing it. You look out the windshield at the curve of the road in front of you, your eyes desperately searching, just in case. You check in your rear view, trying to see past the piles of clothes and books that fill your back seat. Remember, ten and two, just like I taught you. Mile after mile fall below your wheels, and the house is nowhere to be seen. If you keep running, and why would you stop, Lisa? Running is all you know how to do. Turn to page 8. If you accept that you've just been acting like a lunatic, running from shadows and making up stories in your head, and get yourself a bite to eat at that diner over there, go on to page 16. If you finally had enough of this and are ready to come home, turn to page 5. Hmm, so I'm Lisa, I suppose. Knowing that I'm not playing as myself somehow makes me more wary. 
Like this woman, this Lisa, I hold her life in my hands. Hmm, dramatic. But there's something about this book I'm holding, and the nature of how I received it. There's a kind of... energy. Our mysterious benefactor is clearly sending these things for a reason. Hmm, this feels more like a test than a game. What would be best for Lisa here? Maybe I can guide how things go. If I turn to page 16, maybe the stories will end up being made up. And she should probably eat. I imagine her health is flagging. Okay, I'm going to go for page 16. I don't want Lisa to go in that house. Somehow I know she just shouldn't. So, page 16 it is. Right, page 16. You felt the tension ease out of your body. Two competing lines of reasoning ring happily in your head. The first and strongest suggests that perhaps you've finally gotten enough distance from it and that it had lost the scent of you somewhere in the byways and back roads. The other, quieter for the moment, but gaining in volume as the night ebbs away, is that you simply freaked out. Because it's just an it, isn't it? It's only ever been a house, Lisa. It's never left the rocky soil of New England because that's where it belongs. That's where you belong. Without the adrenaline of the last few days to drive you on, you feel a weariness and a sharp pang of hunger. You pull to a stoplight. You look for any place that you can pull over and sleep for a few hours before pushing on. You're not sure where you're going to stop, but when you do, when you decide to, you make that place home. On the left is a diner with a simple Help Wanted sign hanging under the neon Miller light sign and a sun-faded photo of the best-looking plate of eggs and toast you've ever seen in your miserable, privileged little life. Sunny side up, just the way you like it. You consider stopping for a cup of lukewarm coffee and maybe asking about the job. Maybe. An old man on the crosswalk holds up his hand in thanks as he passes in front of your car. You nod respectfully, indicating that you were raised with at least the slightest hint of manners and are in no particular hurry. As you wait for him to pass, you look slowly over in the direction he came from. Just as the stoplight shifts from red to green, you see it. The house is off to your right again. It's time to stop running and face what you deserve. Turn to page five. I, uh, I think we'll stop there. <clears throat> you don't need to hear what happens. Oh, I wish I'd never read this. I need to know more about our benefactor. Something isn't right. <clears throat> I, um, <clears throat> I think we'd better move on to the show. So, that's where my recording ended. No clarity, no conclusion from our mysterious benefactor. 
simply that rather doomed ending. And as I said, I thought it was time to move on with the show. But then I decided to give the book one final flick through to see if any of the content had changed. There was no longer any text in the book. None at all. Not even page one. However, as I flicked through, I realized a groove had been cut into the book, and from it fell a key straight into my lap. I have no idea what this key unlocks. It's been sitting on my desk for a few days now. Every now and then I glance at it, feeling like I should know what it's for. Like in the back of my head, I do. All of this is messing with my brain. I need to think on it. Something tells me I won't be allowed to just forget it. So, anyway, we carry on. And, in our first tale, we join a man traveling across the country in the dead of night. He'd heard mysterious rumors of a certain radio show, and as a fan of the unexplained and the strange, he'd made sure to have a tape recorder with him. And in this tale, shared with us by author C.B. Jones... Our traveler not only manages to get a clear recording of this urban legend, but finds that hearing it has affected his life in ways he couldn't predict. Performing this tale are Atticus Jackson and Mick Wingert. So buckle up, get that tape ready, tune in and wait for it, and hope that you catch the unexplained broadcast of The Rules of the Road. The following is a recording of a short radio program that has been picked up by various listeners across the continental United States. Many have been perplexed by its sudden appearance and how it seems to preempt whatever song or radio program they are listening to at the time. Others have heard it pop up as soon as they drive out of range of certain radio tower broadcasts, appearing suddenly when their program starts to cut out. Common threads between occurrences are that listeners are usually alone, listeners are driving in their vehicles, and that it more frequently occurs on the AM band. Out of everyone that was interviewed, all had followed the instructions that were broadcast on the short program. There was no way of knowing of those that didn't, although news stories across the country reported at least three episodes of those that could have met the criteria. As for me... I was coming out of North Platte, Nebraska when I heard it. I was driving across barren plains and trying to make Denver before midnight. I was meeting my friends in Aurora and wanted to get a good night's rest before we set off on the slopes the next day. At first I thought it was some sort of joke, an audio sketch show recorded by some locals and inserted into the broadcast accidentally or as a goof. I was listening to a rerun of Car Talk on NPR. I'd been on the road for 10 hours straight at the point, and the car talk guy's thick accents and wheezing laughs were keeping me awake. The signal was clear, when suddenly there was a wash of static and laughter, a different kind of laughter than the Bostonian cackles of the Magliozzi brothers. It was higher and more feminine, but androgynous at the same time. It almost sounded like it came from within the car itself. Then... The static washed away and some light, tinkly music came on and a voice started talking, 
It was the voice of a cheery old man with a twangy accent. What follows is a recording of the broadcast I heard on that spooky and unsettling night. Howdy folks, I'm Buck Hensley and these are the rules of the road. Tonight we come to you with an answer to an age-old question that has perplexed many of y'all out there. Why is it when you're driving on some highway or busy interstate, you sometimes look out at the shoulder and you see a single, solitary shoe? How did it get there? Where is its owner? Why is there only one shoe? We'll try to answer that, but once you learn this rule, you may never be able to look at a single shoe on the side of the road again. In fact, it would be downright deadly not to. So here is tonight's rule. If at any point during your journey you see a single shoe on the side of the road all by its lonesome, then you must pull over immediately. What's that, you say? You're in a far lane and you spot the shoe and there's a lot of traffic and you can't cross over? Well, tough titty. You must find a way to that shoe or else, even if you have to turn around. Once you are pulled over, make sure it's safe for you to exit your vehicle. Now, how tragic and hilarious would it be for you to start out with the good intention of following this vital and important rule, only to be splattered on the interstate by the front tires and bumper of some inattentive driver? How your teeth would scatter on the concrete and glint under the moonlight. <laughs> so, you've arrived at the shoe and the scene is safe and secure? This part is relatively easy. All you need to do is get out and remove one of your socks and place it in the shoe. Get back in your car and leave. If you don't have a sock with you, then you better find one. Now, I made that sound extremely easy, and most times it really is that simple. But sometimes the shoe's owner is nearby and he might give you a good old fright. Now, I can't say I rightly know this fella's name, but he only has one leg, and I don't mean he's some sort of amputee or anything like that. I mean he's a man of sturdy build, and that he has a normal torso and arms and hips, but his pelvis tapers off into just one leg at the dead center of his body. A thigh as thick as a propane tank. He generally gets around by hopping on one leg, and he has a 10 or 15 foot standing broad jump. Sometimes when the leg is tired, he pulls himself along with his arms, dragging his leg behind him. He looks downright dirty and mean, clothes all ragged and worn. You can usually see him at the tree line or in the brush or down in the ditch waiting for you. He might approach you, depends on what mood he's in. Just give him a nod. Tuck your sock in his shoe and leave. Now, I hope my folksy demeanor doesn't undermine the gravity of this rule. What happens if you ignore this rule? Well, something bad will happen, that's what. This is not a joke and ignore this at your own peril, but if you don't follow this rule, the next bridge you drive over will collapse either due to a construction failure or some other arbitrary reason, sending you and your vehicle into the water below. This will always result in your untimely death, no matter how good a swimmer you are. <laughs> I hope y'all are having a good one out there. 
Stay alert, stay lively, stay lonely. Once again, I'm Buck Hensley, and these are the Rules of the Road. From there, a loud burst of static occurred, followed by an extremely high-pitched whine, so loud that it was painful, and I had to shut off the stereo. I drove in silence for some time, trying to laugh nervously at the message I had just heard. It had to be a sketch, right? Some sort of surreal dark comedy or something. Yet I found myself slowing down to 60 miles per hour, driving in the right-hand lane and scanning the shoulder for missing shoes. My heart was pounding, and my palms were sweaty on the steering wheel. What if I missed one? Were there any bridges between here and Aurora? Any major rivers? I told myself to quit being ridiculous, but it was no use. I drove 60 miles per hour the whole way to Aurora and added an hour to my total drive time. My eyes were wide and watering, and I could feel the blood vessels form onto the whites, begging for me to shut my lids. It wasn't until I pulled off of the exit of I-225 and was coming down the exit ramp that I started to calm down. The fatigue and sleepiness hit me like a freight train, and as I made the turn onto 6th out of the corner of my eye, I saw it. A single shoe sitting on the side of the road, sole facing up and laces splayed out. I slammed on my brakes. You're insane. I told myself. It was cold out there. I didn't even bother to put on my coat. The traffic was dead, a bad part of town. A black garbage bag and some trash clung to an overgrown patch of prairie grass and weeds. The car came in the other direction. There was a convenience store off in the distance. I approached the shoe and flipped it over. A basic black canvas low top. Converse ripoff. I looked around to see if anyone was watching. There was a guy in a heavy brown coat and a low slung baseball cap sitting against the wall of the convenience store. I couldn't tell how many legs he had. Another car came down the ramp towards me, headlights shining. I was probably going to look crazy, but I pulled off my right shoe, peeled my sock off, and tucked it into the shoe. From the garbage bag, I heard a rustle and rattling aluminum cans. A hand shot out from underneath, buried its fingers into the dirt, and pulled a body forward from underneath the garbage bag. A face suddenly appearing and looking at me. Yellowed eyes and a mouth full of awful teeth. I screamed and darted back to my car and never looked back. There were three bridge incidents that year throughout the U.S. Seventeen deaths. One was an overpass at rush hour. A structural integrity issue. Another incident involved a riverboat barge that crashed into the pylon supporting a hundred-foot interstate bridge. And several cars and a semi plunged into the river below. You had to wonder. I carry a pair of socks with me when I'm out on the road constantly look for shoes. I always follow the rules to a T and take off the sock that I'm wearing, just in case. I haven't seen him again at any of the shoes I've stopped at. Everyone thinks I'm crazy, 
but nothing bad has happened to me yet. Parties. Who doesn't love them? Well, some people don't, honestly. Even if they're headed to one with one of their closest friends. But maybe you don't know many people there. Or you've got social anxiety. Or there's something preying on your mind that's stopping you from having a good time. And in this tale, shared with us by author Ben Vlam, there's certainly something preventing Will from enjoying himself, despite the protestations of his best friend, Mike. Performing this tale are Graham Rowett, Atticus Jackson, and Nicole Doolin. So keep driving onwards. Don't stop for anything. Follow the GPS. It knows what it's doing. It will tell you when destination arrived. You've got to let her go, Will. I can't believe you're still worried about this. We just left everything in a really weird place. In 2.6 miles, exit right onto Highway 13. Okay, but like, what is there to do about it? It happened. It's over. Everyone moves on. Well, for starters, the first thing I can do is turn around and go fix things. I wouldn't right now. I mean, personally, I would never, but for sure not right now. What if I regret it, though? And I go through life regretting it and never live it down. <laughs> okay, so first, that's incredibly extreme. Secondly, you can talk to me and the rest of the guys about it. Life keeps going. One person isn't the end-all be-all. Plus, we have this party tonight. You're going to finally meet some new women, and I... I'm finally going to talk to Sarah and convince her that I'm the man of her dreams. Uh... Have you thought about what she might want? Who? Sarah? Not particularly. Probably not you, though. First of all... Ouch. Second of all, I was talking about... Her. She might not want you to come back. What if she does, though? I still have time to fix this. I promise. It's better... To just wait and see what happens. Yeah. Fine. Is this my turn up here? In 200 feet, turn right. Uh, she beat me to the punch. Onwards, my friend. We have a party to get to. In three miles, keep right to merge onto service road. 332. This party's really out in the sticks, isn't it? Oh, the best tend to be. No people to complain and call the fuzz. Let's hope so. Sam and Tom already get there? Oh, they should be. They left pretty early to go grab Steph. Pretty woods out here, man. You really can be one with nature. Yeah, for sure. 
What kind of house does this guy live in that he can throw a party of this size? I haven't seen anything other than trailers for 30 minutes. From the pictures I saw, this house is absolutely massive. I mean, you can get lost in this thing massive. Like an old vampire lives there when he needs a break from Europe massive. It'll be impossible to miss. Awesome. I was kind of scared you were taking me to some hippie togetherness bullshit. You've been to Thanksgiving with my parents. That's about as close as you're gonna get. Man, being lost out here at night would suck. It couldn't be that bad. You don't think you can make it out? The fear gets you. Man's been scared of the woods for thousands of years. Yeah? It's that deep in our history? Sure. I mean, just think about literature. Little Red Riding Hood, Hansel and Gretel, Logan Paul. What's the message in all of those? Stay away from the forest. And Americans. It's ingrained in us. The fear of the wood. It's an unnecessary risk in our daily lives. And to the American thing, well, it certainly doesn't hurt. How did you score invites to this thing anyway? I didn't think you knew... Greg, right? Greg? Yeah, Greg and I took philosophy this past semester. Helped him study for the final, and he rewarded me with a sweet, sweet Facebook invite. Does he know you know fuck all about philosophy? Not for another week he doesn't. Lucky you. It's also kind of like one of those things where whoever shows up, shows up. Place is too big to know everyone who's there. And the people are going to be so sloshed that they don't really care. How many people are coming to this thing? A few hundred were invited. Plus the usual word of mouth crowd that finds their way there. I know it's a lot for you, but bear with me. I swear I won't ditch you once we get there. What about your plans with Sarah? I swear I probably won't ditch you once we get there. Anyway, we have some grass. That'll chill you out for sure. Yeah, for sure. Where is the pot, by the way? We throw it in the trunk? I'm not about to get searched by Ranger Rick in Shitsville. You tell me, man. You packed it. No. I thought you had it. Good one, Will. But for for real, where did you pack it? Mike, I didn't pack anything. Wait, are you serious? Yeah, man. I didn't put it in the car. I thought you were going to. Shit. Is it still home? So much for plan B. Should we turn around? No way, dude. We're almost here. Plus, it's a party. I'm sure there'll be plenty of grass. I gotta talk to Sarah tonight anyways. I've been waiting for a year and a half for the right time. You've been watching her for a year and a half? Don't say it like that. I don't stalk her. I flirted with her from afar for a year and a half. Alright, man. But you better shoot your shot. I'm not gonna sit in a house full of strangers just so you can fuck up with another girl. Yeah, you're one to talk about messing up with a woman. Wow, Mike. How long did it take for you to use that against me? An hour? You're lucky it really upset you. Or else it would have been 30 minutes. I just hope she's okay. She will be. It was really unfair to ask you to be there for her. Not after all you did initially. Sorry I brought it up, man. That was really stupid. In 300 feet, turn back, Will. Hey, what did the GPS just say? In half a mile, keep right. Oh, (laughs) good. I I heard something totally different. Yeah? What did you think it said? Just something stupid. I guess I'm just worrying. Well, quit worrying and focus on how much fun we're going to have tonight. School's done. We both start grad school in a few weeks. Life is great right now. 
Listen, man, I know you are still stressing about her. Just want you to know that I think you made the right decision. This isn't coming from Mike, your best friend of four years. This is coming from Mike, a man who really wants to get to the party and for you to have a good time. Oh, thanks. Glad I have the approval of a horny 22-year-old. Horny 22-year-olds have done worse. I just wish I could apologize. Even if it wouldn't have done anything, it would have been nice to just say. I'm sure you'll get the chance to. It's a small town. You guys will laugh about it in a few years. Is it cool if I play some music? Sure thing, boss. Man, is that all we got out here? Seems to be. Boonies, I tell ya. What are they good for? Parties. <laughs> I'm gonna keep flipping around. I need something other than Mozart to get me in my game. Well, we have classic and static. Not exactly the party starter I was hoping for. Check for signal again. Maybe we can use your Spotify. No can do. We're out of luck in the internet department. Audiophobia. The fear of being without music. Yeah, that's just not it. Good thing you stuck to business and not psychology. I'm just glad we loaded the directions into the GPS before entering the dead zone. What does the GPS say our ETA is? I need to get out of this car for a few hours. Uh, it says... Huh, that's weird. It's not showing the arrival time. How old is this thing? No clue. Let's hope we get there before the thing stops working altogether. Hylophobia. The fear of being trapped in the woods, alone, without a working GPS, and horrible hobo cultists approaching, forcing you to do meth. No, please, not the drugs. I'll melt you if you make me do the drugs. Uh, you almost had a good example. Keep right. Oh, hey, you're going to want to ignore her. He said on the invite that this road is confusing and his place is on the left. He should be down that road. She said right. Nah, man, it's left. He said so. All right, but if we get lost, I'm going to make sure the Hicks sacrifice you first. Good luck. I've seen Deliverance. I know how they think. Long driveway? I guess. Everything is big out here, though. Big house, big pool, big fun. Big chance you took us down the wrong road. You're going to eat those words. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, if we're right here, you can shut her off. Sure thing, brother. Not the radio, too. It's the only thing in this car that might be worth something. Might as well just turn it off. We're almost there anyway. So where's the house? I don't know, to be honest. At least we saw his mailbox. He must just have a huge private road. It's a possibility. His dad is one of those one-percenter pricks. And the parents aren't home? Nope. Invite says it's the second summer home. Real ego on this guy. No shit. I could barely pay rent on my first summer home. So, our apartment? Yes, our apartment. I'm gonna pull over for a second. See if you can call the guys and take a leak. We should turn around or something. You're the boss. Recalculating. I thought you turned it off. I did. Recalculating. Let's just let it die. We can use this guy's Wi-Fi and write down directions to get home. I'll throw this piece of garbage out later. I'll be back in a second. Be careful. Don't let the alligator grab you. Totally wrong state, Mike. Hey, 
Will, I think I see a car coming. I'm gonna stop them and ask them for directions. Don't let them see me pee. Hey, would you gentlemen be able to help my buddy and I out? You get anything from them? They just stared at me and kept driving. What'd they look like? Two older guys. That was really weird. Yeah, no kidding it was weird. Did you see the state of that car? It had to be at least 40 years old. Probably just some old drinking buddies. Economy is rough, dude. Driving a shitty car is still driving a car. No way they are drinking buddies. The last bar I saw was at least an hour away. They have to be closing soon anyway. Speaking of, how are we looking in terms of time? Are we going to be late? Nah, we should be fine. It's only... 11.30? What? Are you sure? Maybe the clock's wrong. No, it was right earlier. That's when we ran into her, Mike. Do you think she screwed up my car after what happened? There's no way, man. She's like 80 pounds soaking wet. She wouldn't do anything like that. If she did, it would be to the tires or the bumper or something. What time does your phone say? I'll reset the clock. My phone still says 11.30. Stop messing around, man. It's gotta be like one in the morning. No, man. For real. It says 11.30. Weird. Maybe it's just a lack of connection? I can see a clearing up ahead. That's gotta be his house. Mike, what the hell is this? Keep right. It's the same split, Mike. The same exact one. Nah, it can't be. He probably has a neighbor or something that shares the private driveway. His mailbox is right there. So maybe he's further down the road. Dude, it's the same mailbox. Are you sure? Mike, who has two mailboxes? Okay, noted, dick. Anyway, there has to be an explanation for this. It's super dark. We could have gone in a circle and not noticed. We've been going straight the entire time. Did we turn around when you peed? Nope. Keep right. Should we turn around? I mean, this is his mailbox. We should just go right. Look, he told us it's to the left. We should just keep heading that way. GPS said right. Oh, the same one you got at a yard sale? Who knows if it's even up to date on the roads. We should trust the guy who spends half his summer here. Just go left, and when you're wrong, we can turn around. Yeah, that sounds good. Still no signal on my phone. It's fine. I think we're there. The road looks like it ends up ahead. <sighs> good. These woods were starting to seriously give me a case of the willies. Hylophobia. I see you've been bitten by the bug as well. So I guess the house is right up here? I guess. It just looks so empty. Maybe everyone's gonna show up later. Let's just head inside. Will, where did the lights go? Mike? I mean, we could see the house and now it's gone. Is this some sort of trick? Let me turn on the car again. What the fuck? This can't be right, Will. The house was right there. Mike, we are back at the clearing. Why are we back at the clearing? Go right. How did we go in a circle again? We didn't. We haven't turned once. We got out of the car at the house. Whatever. Let's just turn left this time. Maybe this is some weird loop that they have on the property, or or we, uh, we thought it was the house. There's a car parked up ahead. Do you want to check it out? Maybe they know where to go or how to get out of here. Yeah, sure. I'll go scope out the dark car in the woods. Hold up, Mike. Listen, though, Will. When the evil clawed boogeyman jumps out, 
We gotta do open casket. Mike. I think I'll wear a suit that says, Will made me do this over and over again. Is that too much? Or does it get the point across? Look at the car. What about it? No, 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 this isn't right. We saw them going the other direction. No way. Has to be different people. Well, it's the same car. How is that even possible? They were driving the opposite direction. Relax, dude. They could have turned around. They were going in the opposite direction, Will. The other fucking way. We would have seen them in our rear view. I don't know, man. Let's just go home. I'm over the party anyway. Recalculating. Recalculating. I said go right, Will. How do I turn this thing off, Will? You can't. We needed to get home. Is this like a mode or something? Like the kind of GPS that curses at you when you make a wrong turn? Nope. Recalculating. Turn right in two miles. Finally. We're getting out of here. Do you have reception yet? I want to give a call to the other guys and tell them we aren't coming. And maybe call the cops or something. Nothing. We should stop at the first gas station. Let them know so they don't worry. How are you doing on gas, by the way? Half a tank. We're fine. Your car has amazing miles per gallon. <laughs> no, it doesn't. This thing's a gas guzzler. So how come it's been at that since you saw her? Wait. What the fuck? Will, this is really weird. I want to be out of these woods. Hylophobia. Can you just shut up about that shit? Oh, thank God. Another car behind us. Let's stop and ask for directions. No can do. They're riding my ass. What are you running from, Will? Will, what is wrong with this thing? What is wrong with the car behind us? Why aren't they just passing us? In three... Three, 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 three. Mike, this car's gonna hit us, I think. Keep right. Mike. Don't say it. Just keep driving. It was the same fork in the road. Stop. Just keep going. In 300 feet, stop. Where are we, Mike? I don't know. Dude, I told you we should have went right from the start. I'm not trying to mess with you. The invite says go left. Well, he was wrong, because I can see the house. Shit, dude. Thank God. Let's get to this house. You got a flashlight? It's pretty damn dark. Yeah, hold on, Matt. Where'd the house go? I... I don't know. Maybe it's further up than we thought. It was right here, Mike. Let's just keep driving, then. What happened the last time we did this? So what's the alternative? Just standing here? Fine, fine. We... We were just at the house. No, 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 no. We're just gonna go right again and get inside and put this whole thing behind us. See, the house is right here. Let's just get inside. I'll even leave the lights on, okay? Until we can maybe get someone to come back out here with us and make sure we don't end up back there. Yeah, sure. That's a good plan. My door's locked. Can you unlock it? I did, Mike. Maybe it's jammed. 
No, it's not. You got out of the car like 30 seconds ago. I can't get out, man. Try yours. Mine's jammed, too. I'm going to try the back. I just got out. The back two are jammed as well. Can't get them open. What do we do? We could try and bust through a window. No, Mike, I'm not busting through a window. What else are we supposed to do, Will? Anything else. Call it a night, sleep until morning, turn around. I'm not turning off the car again. I'm done being toyed around like this. Fine, kick out the back window. You're paying. Why did you turn off the car, man? We need the light. I didn't touch it. It did that on its own. Well, turn it back on again. I don't know, man. Will, turn it back on. Mike. They already know. I'm gonna die out here, Mike. No. We are lost, and we will be fine. I knew I shouldn't have done anything. I should have just stayed with her. Will, this isn't about her. We are just lost and panicking. I messed up so bad. Will, I need you to drop it. For real. I'm gonna die out here, Mike. I'm sorry I forced you to come with. You need to pull yourself together, Will. It was an accident, Mike. I... I lost control. I need to go back to her. We need to go home, Will. We need to get the fuck out of here and go home. I promise we will deal with her later. What are you running from? How do I shut this fucking thing up? Turn the radio off, Mike. It won't, Will. What do you mean it won't? Hit the fucking button. It's not turning off. Where are we, Mike? I don't know, man. Your GPS just says error. Why are we stopping? She's standing right there. No way, dude. There's no way she would still be here. That's an animal or something. It's too big to be an animal, Mike. It's gotta be like a bear or something. Let's just keep driving and ignore it. I should have stopped. In three miles. Turn. 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 Will, keep driving. It's just an animal. We'll go past it and go home. Turn. 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 What the hell is that thing? Will, fucking drive! She was fine. She got up. She was fine. She was on, on a bike, Will. How far from home was she? Dude, just drive. Don't listen. And drive. Destination was 20 miles away, Will. I can't turn it off. Look at her, Will. Her legs hanging by a sh sh shred of skin. Just drive. Her parents don't know yet, Will. They are getting worried, though. Shouldn't she be home by now? She is lost, Will. 
And the coyotes will reach their destination in three, three, three minutes. It's all my fault. Drive, goddammit. Finish the job, Will. Finish what you st- Started, you coward. Destination arrived. Being caught out in a storm is never ideal, especially if you're traveling and poor conditions could make your trip dangerous. It's important to look for somewhere to stop and ride it out. And that's exactly what our main character does. But in this tale, shared with us by author T. Michael Argent, it may not be safety she's found, but rather the eye of the storm. I join Nicole Goodnight and Atticus Jackson in performing this tale. So keep watch on the skies, pay attention to the weather forecasts, don't get caught out in bad weather. But also remember, thunder only happens when it's raining. It was a chilly November night. Thanksgiving was days away and the whole campus was shutting down in preparation for the week-long break. I had packed my bags eagerly Friday morning and was planning to head out on the long drive. My college was in Pullman, in the eastern part of Washington State, and my family lived six hours west in Olympia, the capital. But at the last minute, my statistics professor, Mr. Rawls, sprung a surprise late-evening review session for the final coming in the following month. It was universally agreed that missing any of his classes, even optional ones like this one, guaranteed a non-passing grade. So I found myself in the dim lecture hall at 7.45 that night, looking at the frost on the windows as Mr. Rawls droned about standard deviations and sample variances to a crowd of my half-asleep peers. After 15 more agonizing minutes, he finally allowed us to leave. But just as I was about to join the masses rushing towards the door, I heard him speak behind me. Miss Davidson, can I see you for a minute? I barely suppressed a groan as I trudged over to his desk. Yes, Mr. Rawls? I'm glad you decided to come to my review tonight. You're going to need it, considering your grade in this class. I blinked at him. What do you mean? I've been turning in all my assignments on time and... I haven't heard anything bad back from you regarding my test scores. Well, yes, that's because I was waiting for the opportunity to tell you. He proceeded to reveal that out of the three chapter review tests I'd taken for the past three months, I had only passed one of them. In shock, I was about to say something before he continued. Your homework scores are excellent, so you're sitting at a C-plus currently. Then again, those are graded for completion, not accuracy. 
If I were you, I'd spend most of your break reviewing. You have your textbook, correct? I nodded sullenly. He smiled, although it wasn't comforting. I've been behind on my grading. I'm sorry it took so long to tell you this. He snatched up his briefcase and walked towards the door. Study hard, but don't forget to have fun with your family. Starting a car trip having just received bad news, as I later learned, was not a very bright thing to do. As I stumbled back to my dorm room to grab my bags and shut off the lights, I found myself stewing over not only having to leave much later than I had wanted to, but now my lackluster grade in stats. After finally getting in the car and heading off down the road out of town, I barely had anything else on my mind. I'm not sure how long I had been driving. I had back then and and still have now somewhat of a reputation of being a hothead, and that night was a textbook example. I put just enough of my attention outside my internal boiling pot of anger and frustration to pay attention to the road around me. Sometimes, though, I'd think about a beloved Thanksgiving tradition I'd probably miss out on due to my studying, and I'd pull even that little bit I'd put out back inside. That's probably why I missed the connecting lane that led to the south. Having just realized I probably couldn't watch any of the Apple Cup on TV, I glanced morosely for a moment out my driver's side window, conveniently at the exact moment I should have changed lanes. It took me about three or four minutes of cooling off before realizing that I had been going in the wrong direction. I also had almost no idea where I was. I took the next exit I saw, finding myself in a flat, plain-like area covered in scrub brush bisected by a deserted-looking road with many potholes. It was too dark to see the map I had in my glove box, and the overhead light had broken months ago. Hazarding a guess, I decided to turn left and look for some kind of place where I could stop and ask for directions. There's many things that happened in the next 45 minutes that I'm unsure of the validity of. However, one thing I will never forget is the weather. Rolling black thunderheads boiled across the night sky, blocking all light from the moon and stars. It was just me, my car, and the road, a feeble gray line that was barely distinguishable from the darkness that surrounded it. If it wasn't for the yellow center line, I'm certain I could have driven off the road and into the landscape beyond without even realizing it. I do remember that I was tired. My eyes had been slipping closed for the past hour or so, despite my constant stewing. It probably didn't help that it was after 11 p.m. by this point either. I noticed that, despite the fact that the sky was churning high above, not a single drop of rain had fallen. My windshield remained just as dusty as ever, and my tires never slipped or slid on a stray puddle. Not even a flash of lightning could be seen. I had just begun to think that maybe I should turn around and go back up the ramp I had come down when a sudden elevation caused me to jump in my seat. Squinting my eyes, I peered out of my window as the road rose above me, crested a hill, and began a sudden descent. I remember thinking that was odd, as I couldn't remember seeing any hills in the distance. This was years before cell phones or even widespread computer use, so it wasn't like I could just pull over and check my phone. The featureless landscape suddenly began to be dotted with trees. As my car glided down the hill, they multiplied, stretching farther back and growing taller until I felt miniature compared to their size. I thought that this was odd as well, because I was certain forests didn't just spring up suddenly in the middle of barren landscapes. 
I once again considered turning around before I saw through the branches. Mercifully, for the first time in what felt like hours, light could be seen coming from somewhere besides my car's radio. Ahead of me, it snaked its way through the trees, ghostly and diaphanous, like steam coming from a tea kettle. The road curved around a set of pines before straightening out again, revealing, to my surprise, a service station cozily nestled between a series of tall evergreens. It didn't appear to have any sort of brand attached to it. I could see no giant seashells, no green and yellow flowers, no blue and red arrows pointing down. Just what appeared to be a hand-painted sign labeled Family Filling Station on top of a metal pole that wasn't tall enough to be reasonably seen from a distance. Two seemingly untouched pumps sat under a small covered awning. About ten feet away from this was the lighted building, a small structure with a tall, sloping V-shaped roof that almost reached the ground. It was perfect. I could ask the attending inside where I was, directions to get back to the freeway. I looked down at my fuel level as well and noted that I could use a few gallons. I still had an hour or two until I was home. I turned into the paved lot and pulled up at one of the pumps. This was when people pumped your gas for you, so I waited. And waited. And waited. I looked out my window at the dark trees just across the road, swaying slightly in the wind. The sky above was almost pitch black with thunderheads now, no moon or stars visible. After about five minutes, I got impatient and turned to face the lighted station. The windows were large, covering most of the front wall. Inside, through the frosted glass, I could see what looked like a series of shelves and what I thought was a counter. The door itself had a pane of clear glass, but I couldn't see enough through it at that distance. (sighs) Sighing with exasperation, I got out and locked my car before walking towards the door. The wind sounded odd as it flitted through the trees. It was irregular starting and stopping seemingly at random. One moment the branches would sway, and in the next, they sat still. Its unevenness of it creeped me out for some reason. I pulled my coat tighter and shivered. The door squeaked loudly as I pulled it open. I expected to hear the chiming of a bell or maybe some electronic buzz, but heard nothing in response. The interior was cramped, barely the size of a two-car suburban garage. The building looked bigger from the outside. What little shelves there were crammed so tightly together that there were barely aisles between them. On either side between the shelves sat two wooden doors. May I help you? (gasps) I let out a short gasp and turned around, staring face to face with an older man in his mid-fifties. His hair was slicked back across his bald head with what looked like a full bottle of gel. A pair of ugly Coke bottle glasses magnified his beady, dark eyes. Yeah, I... Listen, I accidentally turned off the freeway about two miles down the road, and I was wondering if you could direct me back to it. I have no idea where I am right now. The man rubbed his chin, as if deep in thought. Well, that depends. If you're in a rush, you can go back the way you came and take the on-wrap about a mile down the road. If you're looking for the scenic route, you might consider... Uh, Hang on. Let me consult my map. The man disappeared into a wooden door behind the counter. I drummed my fingers on the laminate, 
and was just considering buying a pack of Reese's peanut butter cups when I noticed the man had left the door ajar. I took a few quiet steps to the right and peered inside. Through the crack, I could see what looked like a small bedroom with a bed, desk, and lamp. The attendant was leaning over the desk on the right wall with his head out a window. Though I couldn't see his face, I could tell by his body movements that he was shifting his gaze as if looking for something in the woods behind the station. Just as I was about to call out, he began to pull himself back and I stepped to the right to be out of his line of sight. I heard the rustle of paper and he snatched up a map and walked back through the door, shutting it behind him. He looked worried, sweat starting to bead on his brow. The ugly, itchy sweater he was wearing probably wasn't helping matters. He laid the map on the counter in front of me. Now, if you want to go the long way, you're going to follow the road for another eight or nine miles until you reach this on-ramp further down the freeway. I nodded meekly. We both knew I wasn't going to follow those directions. He stared at me, but not in a leering way. His expression looked more apologetic and worried than anything else. Do you need gas? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess I do. I pointed out the window towards the ghostly shape of my car in the lot. If the tank hadn't been so low, I would have gotten the hell out of there right away. Till it's full, I'm assuming. One moment, I'll, I'll be right back. Feel free to look around. I thought about going out there with him but I'd locked the doors and had the keys with me. He didn't seem like much of a threat, but I wanted to spend as little time with him as possible. Besides, if he tried to break the glass or rob my car, I would hear it. He stepped out, letting the door thump closed behind him, leaving me behind in the empty store. Not seconds after he had exited, a loud booming noise echoed high overhead. The thunderous rumble shook the windows and made me jump. I looked out the windows of the front wall, but the black sky overhead remained as dark as it had been before. Why hadn't I seen any lightning? Outside, I could see the attendant jump, too. His face took on an expression of extreme worry. His eyes scanned the trees in the front of the station and turned to gaze at the ones behind it. I was honestly starting to get a little creeped out by that point, but tried to remain calm and and rationalize everything. This dude ran a gas station in the middle of nowhere. He probably didn't have much experience talking to people. Turning back around, I headed into one of the aisles of shelves. A menagerie of seemingly unrelated junk greeted me. A pack of playing cards. A few cigarette boxes, some of them missing a few sticks. Several tubes of lipstick and other beauty products. A dirty steering wheel cover. A collection of assorted cassettes spanning every artist from John Denver to the Beatles. An ice scraper few bottles of water, motor oil, a jack, just stuff you would find in a car. Most of it was opened or used already. Where had the owner gotten this stuff and who would buy it? I turned and walked back towards the clear pane of glass on the door. The attendant was putting the nozzle back into its slot on the pump. The nervous look had disappeared somewhat from his face, although he seemed distracted. I walked back into the aisles towards the door on the right, trying it. The knob rattled and didn't move. Locked. I crossed and headed towards the other door, trying it as well. Same result. There it is again. 
I was sure that there had been no lightning at all in the past few minutes. It would have lit up the forest like a flashlight in the sky. From the front, I heard the attendant give a distinct cry that sounded both afraid and frustrated. Looking out the back windows, I could see a number of cars junk together in a small clearing behind the station. They were buried under a small layer of pine needles and branches. Many of them looked old and rusted, some of them newer. However, all of them were bent and crushed, as if some gigantic kid had thrown a tantrum and destroyed his Hot Wheels. Distantly, I remembered a lyric from one of my favorite Fleetwood Mac songs. Thunder only happens when it's raining. I knew that to be false, but I knew one thing. Thunder only happens after lightning. There had been none the entire night. The sound of thunder was the pressure and temperature of the air around the bolt exploding into a sonic boom. One couldn't exist without the other. That wasn't thunder I was hearing. My heart dropped into my stomach. The sound of the front door thumping closed behind me nearly caused me to cry out. I spun around quickly. The attendant was standing by the counter, nervously pulling on his collar. Yeah, 424, ma'am. I breathed deeply and walked calmly towards him. I stayed back as far as I could while still being able to touch the counter. As I fumbled in my wallet for the money, he spoke again. Uh, where are you headed? I didn't want to answer him, but all I cared about at that moment was paying and getting the hell out of there. I thought if I gave him what he wanted, I could leave quicker. I passed him a $5 bill. See, seeing my family back home. Thanksgiving dinner. As he opened the register, his nervous voice piped up again. Have a lot? Some family? He stumbled over his words, almost slurring them. Although the question was directed at me, he seemed more concerned by something out the back window. Though I looked, I could see nothing but the branches swaying in the wind, casting dancing shadows on the ruined cars from the lights in the station. My mother, two siblings, a boyfriend... He mumbled something under his breath that might have been a curse. He snatched up the coins and almost threw them at me. All right, you're all set. You can go now. He fidgeted around, now staring squarely out the window, his voice high-pitched and seemingly on the verge of panic. I... Miss, you need to go. Now. Outside the window, something I had assumed to be a tree moved in the shadows, loudly crushing the bumper of a car as it passed. Turning around quickly, I all but sprinted out the door and across the pavement, my shoes clacking loudly on the asphalt. Behind me, the noise boomed again and again and again. The sky chose this moment to fully release the rain it had been holding in its pregnant underbelly for the past few hours. As if a switch had been flipped, a torrential rain suddenly cascaded down from the thunderheads in icy sheets. I fumbled with the lock for a moment, almost dropping my keys in despair, but finally managed to stick it in and turn it. I flung open the door, dove into my seat, shut it with a loud bang, and flipped the car into drive. As I was pulling out, I looked over and saw the attendant standing on the spot where the asphalt met the clearing behind the building. His arms were outstretched as he was staring high up into the trees. The rain cascaded down him in rivers, soaking him to the bone and plastering his hair to his head. His face was a mask of panic and fear, eyes just visible behind the millions of droplets that stuck to the lenses of his glasses. I could barely hear the words over the booming calls. 
You have to let this one go. She has family. She has family. There'll be more, I promise. I'll get you the next one. You can't. You can't. From high up in the treetops to almost the bottom of the roots, thousands of yellow eyes opened. They covered almost every pine in sight, glowing brightly like the lights on a thousand Christmas trees. Above them all, between two of the largest trees, two satellite dish-sized reddish-orange eyeballs with slitted pupils came into view as their owner turned around, shifting the shadows and rattling the trees, causing the branches to sway. I gunned the engine and raced out of the lot, turning right and heading back towards the on-ramp two miles down the road. I took the freeway home at double the speed limit. Needless to say, I didn't do much studying that break. our final tale. We join Connor, a man heading out for a job looking after someone's home while they're away. It's a task he's done plenty of times. It pays well, and it's not too challenging. But in this tale, shared with us by author C.P. Riggs, when Connor finds himself in a particular abode in a particular town, well, it might be the last time he regards the job as an easy one. I join Kyle Akers, Jesse Cornett, Jessica McAvoy, and Graham Rowett in performing this tale. So pay attention to the warnings left for you. Don't dismiss the superstitions. And let's find out why Connor uses the past tense when he says, I was a house sitter. I was a house sitter for a time, in college. It was easy money, plus I always thought of it as just like babysitting for guys. Try to get a job as a babysitter as a guy, you won't have much luck. Most college girls though, at least in my experience, won't watch houses out in the middle of nowhere for days at a time. None of the jobs I ever took were in the city. Either those people don't hire house sitters or they don't hire strangers, I don't know. I used an app to find work, and no city jobs were ever posted. It wasn't unusual to travel an hour out to wherever I was sitting that weekend, but I didn't mind much. I got to see more of Kentucky outside Pikeville, and the money was pretty great. Besides, I got to hang out in big, nice houses, eat other people's food, and get paid to do... nothing? Honestly, it was a pretty sweet gig. I tried to go back to it once for some extra money, but... Well, let's just say I realized I couldn't. Truth be told, I can't really travel to strange places at all anymore. The one that broke me was just a little further away than usual. About an hour and a half outside Pikeville. Just over the border of West Virginia. The town name was something like... Lick Branch or Flat Branch or Red Branch. Something like that. It's not like I can go back and look, but it 
was something branch. Maybe Red Flats branch? I think that was it. Red Flats branch. It was a long, long way off from the interstate. Down those old Kentucky roads that swing back and forth and turn this way and that until you can't really tell which way you're going anymore. Like I told the police, though, I didn't really notice anything strange driving in. Except for a little stretch of road outside the limits where the path straightened out between two separate sets of mountains. It ran straight through the valley for about a mile, rolling up and down over little hills. Three huge billboards stood on the right side, and all of them were painted white. For some reason, that unnerved the hell out of me. All the metal was rusted and everything, but the white paint was so fresh I could almost imagine Tom Sawyer dangling his feet over the platform, chewing on an apple and laughing at me while I passed underneath the creaking, rusting structures. Just past them, I saw the little sign that named the town. An old white thing, hand-painted in flaked gold lettering with a trellis beneath it. Like those old welcome signs towns used to have in the 1920s. Red Flats Branch. Beneath the name it said, Established, but the numbers had long ago flaked away. Beyond the sign, two large willow trees stood on either side of the road. It was about then I realized that my GPS had cut out. My little blue cursor stopped moving and the map went gray. I tapped it, tried turning the cellular data off and on again. Nothing. I passed the willow trees, and the drooping branches drew back like a curtain to reveal the little town. It was, in a word, absolutely adorable. The summer afternoon was winding down, and I had passed people walking on the sidewalks, mowing their lawns, and just relaxing after the heat of the day had finally broken all content in their little world. Some people sat outside in the shade of a coffee shop's porch. Someone somewhere was cooking potatoes, and somewhere else someone was frying bacon. The buildings were the old brick style, and there were just six of them. That made up the whole town, just six buildings around a single stoplight. And beyond that, little houses stretched away in neat little squares. It looked like the kind of place you drive through on vacation that gives you a strange nostalgia for a kind of life that... At least if you're like me, you've only lived in movies. I couldn't get the GPS to load anything and decided the coffee shop was my best bet for directions. I parked on the street out front and slipped a coin in the meter, but it fell right out again. I tried again and it dropped right through to the coin return again. One of the guys sitting outside called over to me. That ain't work for years, son. He had a big mustache and a face worn deep with laugh lines. He was the only one not drinking coffee, instead fingering the rim of a small glass, the kind used for absinthe and vermouth. I felt my face go red with embarrassment, then smiled at the old man and waved. Thanks a bunch, man. He stopped me as I was walking through the door and held out his hand. Actually... 
I'm the meter maid. You're supposed to just pay me directly. <laughs> I took the quarter out of my pocket and dropped it into his hand, laughing myself. If I come out to a ticket, I'm going to know who to blame then. The interior of the coffee shop was well lit by the afternoon sun as it filtered through the big windows at the front. It was done up in a soft, untreated wood that glowed an off-white. It smelled like coffee, but also cedar and bread. A girl with dark black tattoos down one arm and leg and dark hair pinned up in a messy bun popped up from behind the counter with a smile. Hey there. How can I help you? I've never been good with cute girls. And God, she was cute. Worse, it was that bouncy, mousy sort of cute that looks effortless. Um... She raised an eyebrow and waited. I, um, hi. I wanted to pick up a coffee and also um, possibly ask for directions, if that's okay. GPS stop working? Yep. She nodded and pulled a plastic cup from a stack, then filled it with cold coffee. I assume you wanted iced? Yes, please. Cream? No, thanks. She poured a heavy dose of cream into the coffee and slid it across the counter, then leaned over with a smile. There's the coffee, and now, where are you going to? I showed her the address of the house. I was really glad I'd scribbled it down before leaving. She looked at it and frowned. That doesn't look good. She looked up, still frowning. You know the Jacobs? No, I'm just up from Pikeville house-sitting. Never been here before. She stared at me for another moment, before apparently realizing I wasn't lying to her. She nodded, and her smile slowly came back as she gave me directions. The house, as it turned out, was just two streets over. After she finished, I tried to think of something else to say as the silence stretched on for just a second too long. I watched the dust floating through the rays of light from the window. I took a sip of the coffee. There was so much cream it wasn't even brown anymore, just the same off-white color as the shop. I might have complained since I said no cream, but... Come on, cute girl. You, uh, don't like the Jacobs? She looked up at the ceiling, clearly choosing her words carefully. They're a little different from the rest of the town. A little uppity, if you catch my drift. Ah. Yeah. She tossed an empty cup into the garbage and looked at me with a shrug. Let me put it to you this way. There's a reason they hired someone from Pikeville to watch their house when there's plenty of people here that could do it. Yeah, that... Makes sense. No offense or anything. No, no, I know. It makes sense. I don't want to make trouble or anything, though. She waved. No big deal. You couldn't know. Maybe just keep it to yourself you're here for the Jacobs. Thanks for that. Don't worry about it. 
But Jacob's house was a little square thing in a little square yard. It was painted bright cherry red with bright white shutters and white wicker rockers on the little front porch. The windows let in lots of afternoon light that made the living room glow gold. A faint smell of pipe tobacco lingered in the air over the smell of cumin and must. On the table in the kitchen, my employers had left me a scribbled note. Dear Connor, thank you so much for watching the place for us for the weekend. We really appreciate your driving all this way. We've left half the money on the counter and we'll bring the other half Sunday when we get back. If you have any trouble, don't hesitate to call us. There's nothing crazy you really need to know or anything, but if you're trying to get hot water in the bathroom sink, turn the hot water on in the bath for a minute and it'll heat up a lot quicker. Old houses, you know. The Wi-Fi password is on the fridge. Signal here is a bit iffy, so just stay on Wi-Fi as much as you can. Red Flat doesn't have all that much since the mine's shut down, but it's still a wonderful little place. Thanks so much. John. P.S. The town is quiet and safe, but we do recommend having the doors locked by midnight. Just ignore the whites. What in the absolute fuck did that last part mean? I looked at the note again and noticed it was capitalized. The whites. The neighbors, maybe? I wish I'd gotten that girl's name at the coffee shop. Maybe her last name was White. Maybe I'd walked into some kind of Hatfield-McCoy small-town blood feud. I shrugged. Whatever weird spat was going on here between the Jacobs and the rest of the town, I was just going to take the coffee shop girl's advice. Stay out of it. The sun went down, and I realized the downside of large windows. During the day, they let a lot of light in, but at night, they let a lot of darkness in. The town wasn't that big, but I expected there to still be some more light outside. The houses across the street all had lights on, or at least they had light on. Each one had a single light on, right where the living room was. No bedroom windows were lit, none of the windows on the second floor, and there were only a few street lamps. I poured a drink and sat outside in one of the big wicker rockers. A slight breeze blew across the porch, and people walked past, but no matter how long I looked, I didn't see anyone in any of the houses. No shadows, no movement, no nothing. Not even any flashing lights from television. Just a single light in the living room for every single house, and the squeaking of the rocker underneath. My hosts had a liquor cabinet full of incredibly expensive whiskey. Suntory... Pappy, Jack Gold, limited Jim Beam bottles, all mixed in with Buffalo Trace and Angel's Envy and Captain Morgan. I decided to order a pizza before I started sampling. The closest shop was about 14 miles away, a little place called Don John's. Yeah, I'd like to place an order. Carry out a delivery. Delivery? The guy on the other side sounded as if he'd had a cigarette in his mouth every waking moment for 20, maybe 30 years. He also had that kind of old New York accent that sounded like he'd definitely dissolved a guy in acid before. What can I get for you, Chief? Large pepperoni, extra cheese.
Lodge heart attack, is that it? I blinked, trying to decide between ignoring the comment or playing along. Um, can I get a medium stroke on the side? Hey, buddy, listen, don't be a smartass. You want anything else or not? Okay, wrong choice. Gotcha. Uh, no. That's it. What's the address? I told him. The line crackled for a minute, and I thought he might have hung up on me. We don't deliver out that way. Why? Just don't. Want to come pick it up? <sighs> yeah, I guess. Be 14 bucks. Give me 15 minutes. Thank. The line clicked and went dead. Asshole. The empty house didn't respond. The pizza shop was further into West Virginia, opposite of the way I'd come, but I had to drive back through Main Street to get there. The coffee shop was still open, with the lights from inside silhouetting the same three old men on the patio. People were still walking around, and some people were finishing up yard work. A guy on his riding lawnmower smiled at me and waved as I drove past. The road wound its way up and out of the valley, swinging around hairpin turns and rising and falling suddenly. The gas station slash pizza parlor appeared so suddenly I had to slam on my brakes to not miss the turn and almost careened off the side of the road. I swung around the curve and suddenly there it was. Bright LED lights and old rattling trucks being fed gasoline by old rattling men. Inside, the pizza shop was swelteringly hot and smelled of grease and dough and fat. It made my mouth water even as it made me immediately start sweating. The place was empty apart from the old man who'd taken my order and the hum of the oven somewhere in the back. He wore an old wife beater and his arms were covered in coarse, dark hair. He was reading The King in Yellow when I walked in and quickly stuffed it under the counter like he was embarrassed to be caught with it. I'm here for the... Heart attack, yeah, yeah, yeah. He swung off his stool and pulled the pizza from the warmer. Fourteen ten. I gave him my money and he handed me the pizza, tapping buttons on the old register. What you doing all the way out here? I'm house-sitting, just down the road. Is there a reason you don't deliver out that way? It doesn't seem that far. He frowned at me for a moment, probably considering whether or not I was being a smartass. He handed me my change and leaned back on his stool, sucking at his teeth. We've had uh, issues with delivering out that way. Some kids keep scaring our driver. <laughs> kids? What the hell were they doing? Why are you so curious? I shrugged and held up an empty hand. I'm not. I just can't really imagine what a bunch of kids would do that was so bad. He looked uncomfortable and shifted on his stool, tugging at his shirt. Well, we're pretty sure it was kids. The driver won't talk about it much. 
Something about weird people blocking the road and standing out in the woods or something. And he said they were dressed weird. Never got much more than that. He sniffed and shrugged. Personally, I think he just smoked some bad weed. Maybe took a couple too many shrooms. But we stopped delivering out that way. It was the only way I could get him not to quit. It ain't easy to find delivery drivers out here, son. Not a lot of money in it. He paused and spit into a trash can. Besides, we had incidents out that way before. Weird people out there. I thought about it. An old New Yorker running a gas station slash pizza parlor up in the mountains seemed a lot weirder to me, but... Thanks. I had a feeling I probably shouldn't tell him that. Uh. I thanked him for the pizza, and he grunted. Back out in my car, I watched him through the window as he slowly slipped the book back out from under the counter, looking around suspiciously, and continued reading, like he was doing something forbidden. The drive home was uneventful, until I got back to the house. I walked up the steps to find the door slightly ajar a tiny little finger of light reaching across the porch from the crack. I set down the pizza and ran inside, thinking someone must have broken in. But nothing was damaged, and nothing was moved. I checked the door, and it was still locked. I realized then I must not have closed it all the way when I left. Stupid, stupid, stupid. It was okay, though. Nothing was taken. Everything was fine. Everything was just fine. The living room of the house was big and open, with a soft, comfy couch. The kind you really sink into, and it's hard to get back out of. I laid back with the pizza, a big glass of Dr. Pepper and Angel's Envy, and put some Archer on the television. It wasn't long before the pizza was gone, and my drink count for the night was sitting around three. I say around three because everything had begun to turn a little soft and fuzzy, and there were a few sample sips from different bottles between drinks. Sometime between the fourth episode and the Hulu commercials following that, I drifted off to a greasy, fitful sleep. I had strange dreams. I rolled over and saw a pair of white shoes standing on the floor beside the couch. Attached to the white shoes were white pants held up by a white belt and a white button-up. I followed him all the way up to a face that stared down at me, painted white as a geisha, with black lips peeled back over a stapled-on smile with pearly white teeth. The face never blinked, and even though I was sure it was looking at me, the eyes had the vacant, faraway stare of a corpse. It might as well have been staring straight through me, with the smile and the vacant eyes, it looked like some escaped drug fiend who, despite not knowing who or where they are, is somehow still immensely happy to be there. I registered all this in a heartbeat. I know because I became painfully aware of each beat. It stared down at me from just beside the couch, leaned over... No, not leaned, it bent like a tree in the wind. screamed 
long and loud. I screamed until I was out of breath, even as I tried to simultaneously sit up, kick the thing away, and scramble off the couch all in a single motion. All I really managed to do was flail wildly, roll off the couch, and smash my face against the floor. I had the sensation of waking up again, and jerked, banging my elbow on the floor as I tried to scramble backwards towards the glowing safety of the television, towards noise and comfortable jokes and plots I've seen a hundred times. I looked around the living room to try to figure out where the thing had gone and what it was. Slowly, a voice somewhere in the back of my brain began to whisper that maybe, just maybe, I'd been dreaming. I climbed to my feet, still scanning the living room and looking for something I couldn't name. The kitchen jutted off to the left, a simple little room that I could peek into easily enough. It was empty. The hallway to the right led to the only bedroom in the house, along with the only bathroom. The hallway was dark, untouched by the light from the living room. I hugged the wall by the couch, well away from the hallway, and tried to peek down it. But the darkness was completely impenetrable. There was an overhead light in the hall, but I would have to reach into the hallway to flip the switch. And I was so ungodly frightened of some unnameable thing there in that darkness that I couldn't bring myself to do so. I stared into the yawning void for a moment, trying to force myself just to fucking do it. Instead, operating on some smaller, older instinct, I grabbed my jacket and ran outside. It was nighttime. There was darkness all around, but it wasn't that darkness. Outside, there was a moon and stars. The darkness outside felt softer. The darkness outside didn't feel so alive. I walked to my car, but when I checked my pockets, I couldn't find my keys. With a sinking sensation, I realized they were still inside. Shit. I looked back at the house, but now even the thought of going back inside seemed unbearable. I decided I would walk. It was around 1am, but there were still people out, walking along the sidewalks and talking in low tones, girls holding onto their men's arms, all of them heading God knows where. I walked toward the coffee shop, thinking I might find some place open along the way, even if it was only a gas station or a diner or something. Not one of the people out walking were going the same way as me. They all streamed away from the little town, like strange rats calmly fleeing a ship. I cursed myself for being stupid as I walked, wondering what in the world was wrong with me. I'd stayed in way worse places than this. I'd stayed in cabins at the tops of mountains, miles and miles away from anything that resembled an actual road. What the shit was wrong with me? Why was this one bothering me so much? When I got to the coffee shop, I found that strangely, it was still open. In fact, two of the three men still sat out front, though they both now had small glasses of alcohol. Bright, fluorescent lights still streamed from most of the windows along Main Street, leaking across the cracked sidewalks. She was still working when I walked in. It had to be some ten hours later, and she was still here looking just as bored and sick of it all as when I'd seen her the first time. 
The light that had earlier made the rough wood look so rustic and warm had been replaced by two buzzing neon signs on the wall that cast half the space in electric red and the other half in blue. There were no overhead lights and no lamps, just the neon signs. She looked up at me with a tired smile, drumming her fingertips on the countertop. <laughs> Out for a midnight walk? I, um, uh, um... Sometimes you don't realize how much alcohol is still affecting you until you need to speak. <laughs> Sobering up? I, uh... Yeah, a little. She rolled her eyes and pulled a coffee cup from a stack, then ground some beans and let the machine drip espresso into the cup. How are y'all still open? Outside, the old men were trying to bounce a quarter off the table into an empty glass. In the mornings, we're a coffee shop. In the evenings, we're a bar. And you're here for all of it? Not usually. I just got shafted today. Fuck me for being a good employee and answering when my boss calls. She slid the espresso across the counter. How much do I owe you? Don't worry about it. Oh, thanks. I really appreciate it. She smiled and shrugged. If the boss says anything, I'll just remind her I wasn't supposed to be here tonight. Classic. I grabbed one of the coloring books beside the counter. At university, they had coloring books around a lot. I remembered someone telling me they were good for anxiety and calming down. I wasn't sure if that was actually true, but I could stand to calm down a little. You mind? Nah. Go ahead. She slid a pack of colored pencils over the counter. Nice to have a little company. Yeah, I, I bet. I slid the pencils out and laid them across the counter, then flipped through the book to find a picture of a wolf with lots of mandala patterns in the middle. I colored while she cleaned, and we chatted about nothing over the scratch of pencils across the paper. One of the old men outside managed to bounce the quarter into the glass, and both of them cheered. I hope I'm that easily amused when I'm old. Drink as much as they have today, and I imagine you will be. Fair enough. <clears throat> uh, hey, I, I hate to ask this, but can you watch the front for a minute? I've really got to go to the little girl's room. My face went a little red. Of course. You don't have to do anything. Just make sure nobody comes in and, like, empties the register or anything. Yeah, uh, of course. Go on. Don't worry about it. It'll be me paying for my coffee. She smiled and nodded, then hurried off into the back, undoing her apron as she went. I went back to coloring. I just finished the left eye of the wolf when I heard the door to the back swing open again. That was fast. I spoke without looking up. 
I was tracing one of the outside lines with a blue pencil, focusing so hard on staying inside the lines that my tongue was sticking out a bit. Yeah. Her voice sounded far away, like when someone's only half paying attention to the conversation. You all right? Yeah. I took a sip of coffee. I was really beginning to feel a lot better now. I think part of that was my little buzz from earlier was wearing off. Things weren't so unbalanced. On top of that, though, the little shop was a remarkably relaxing place, even at night. The buzzing of the signs and the easy laughter of the old guys outside were relaxing, and the woody smell inside settled my stomach. My brain was still drunk enough to make me think I might have a chance of getting the nice girl's number if I could be just a normal, not-creepy douchebag. So I tried to think of something to say. This is a sweet town. Cute, I mean. Yeah, that was smooth. Good, even topic, nothing suggestive. Just nice conversation. Damn, I'm good. Yeah, we like it a lot. She still spoke with that distracted, faraway tone in her voice. It was a coal mining town once. Long, long ago. We? You and your, I'm guessing, husband? I congratulated myself again for being such a smooth motherfucker. All of us. I was about to color in the last little piece of blue around the edge of the mandala, when the end of the colored pencil snapped with a loud splintering noise. Here, let me get that. She reached out for the broken tool and I handed it to her. Alabaster white fingers closed around the pencil, brushing my hand as they took it from me. I followed the fingers up to a face that would have been bone white were it not for the red and blue lights. The face looked at me, devoid of all expression save for a wide, empty smile and dead, faraway eyes. It wasn't the same one as before, though. This one looked like a girl, with braided white pigtails framing her face. She looked almost human, and from a distance she could probably pass for one, but up close? Up close there was no mistaking her for one. I sprung back off the bar stool, stumbling and knocking over one of the wooden tables as I tripped. I must have screamed because outside, both of the old men spun around in their chairs. When they saw me sprawled across the floor, they hurried inside. As they entered, the figure slowly disappeared behind the counter, like that old mime trick where someone pretends to be on an elevator. It just deliberately slid behind the counter, giggling. The hell happened to you, son? It was the same guy from earlier, the one I'd given the quarter to. His eyes were a little unfocused, but he seemed sober enough. He helped me to my feet. It was... You didn't see the, th- the thing behind the counter? The, the girl? She was right there. Like, right there. I shook my finger at the counter. They both looked. You mean Sarah? No, it wasn't the coffee shop girl. She's in the bathroom. It was, it, it was something else. She was all white, head to toe. She was right there. I pointed again. The door to the back opened and Sarah came out, retying her apron. 
She saw the commotion and stopped, frowning. What the absolute shit happened here? Paul, you better not have hit him. The man who'd been talking leaned back and held up his hands. I didn't do nothing. We heard him fall and ran in here. She glared at both of them. No, they didn't. It was right there. I got to my feet and marched around the counter to show them. She was standing right here. Nobody saw her? How did none of you see her? I turned to look out the window and realized that no, they wouldn't have seen her. The big espresso machine on the counter almost all but blocked the space behind the counter from the front window. Nobody saw her. Nobody but me. There's something in this town. That's twice now. A guy and a girl. They were both dressed in white, like, uh, I don't know, some kind of fucked up mimes or something. What the fuck was it? They looked at one another, and for just a flicker of a heartbeat, something passed over their faces. You know what I saw, don't you? Sarah grabbed me by the front of the shirt and pulled me down until I stood face to face with her. She whispered through gritted teeth. Shut up. Now. I slapped her hand away. No. What the fuck is going on? The old man shifted uneasily. One turned and looked out the window. Sarah leaned in and spoke with forced patience. If you want to live, you'll shut your fucking mouth. Understand? Oh, God. Standing outside the window were two more of the white-clad figures. These two were tall, lanky men with white swinging pigtails. Both had a single hand pressed against the glass. As we watched, they slowly leaned in and started bumping their foreheads against the shop window. The other old man, the one who'd yet to speak, was suddenly screaming. He let him loose! He let him loose! Throw him out! Paul! The man called Paul grabbed his friend and fit his hand over the old man's mouth, whispering something in his ear. Get him in the back office. Come on. Come on. Sarah watched the figures in the window with an emotion somewhere between anger and fear. Everyone, get to the back office. Now! I did what she said, following the narrow little hallway to the single door at the back. A solitary old light bulb swung from a string at the center of the hallway, the harsh yellow light painting the walls a dirty, jaundiced color. The office was a cramped, small affair with a couch and a desk and a small computer monitor playing camera footage from the front. Paul dropped his friend on the couch, where the old man began hyperventilating. Sarah came in last, closing the door behind us and locking it. Okay, now... But she interrupted me with a finger to her lips. She walked behind the desk and turned the monitor screen toward me, gesturing to it. The front camera showed three figures standing inside, two from earlier that had been banging on the window, and a girl from behind the counter. They all stared directly at the camera, directly at us like they knew. What are they? She took a long time to answer, staring at the screen with a severe expression. 
know. I frowned, but she shook her head before I could speak. I really don't. Nobody does. The story says they were found up in the mines a long time ago. Miners blew a thing of dynamite, and when they came back, they found one of those things crouching there in the crater. Coal dust on everything, and it was pure, shining white. This is crazy. This isn't happening. I stared at the screen. Not one of the things blinked. You're not supposed to acknowledge them. It does something. The more attention you pay them, the more of them come. From the mines? They live in the mountain? She shook her head. They don't live anywhere. They just found the one in the mountain. Or, I mean, they could live in the mountain. I don't know. They just appear and then vanish again. Like ghosts. Like ghosts! The story says the miners found the one down there. And they yelled to the foreman up the shaft. And when they turned around, there were two more, then three more, then, then four. The boys doomed us all. Doomed us all, and you all know it too. You do. You know what happens to them that gets took by the whites. The color had drained from the man on the couch's face, and he was rubbing his chest. Shut up, Simon. Sarah turned to look at me, and a silent question passed between us. What did happen to them? She shook her head slowly and held up her empty hands to show that she didn't know. When we looked back at the cameras, a fourth had appeared. That's the one from the Jacob's house. It was, um, watching me sleep. Paul nodded. That's how they get you. They catch you off guard. Do something that you can't ignore. Something you gotta react to when then they got you. Jesus Christ, do people live like this? My voice was shaking nearly as much as my hands. Sarah shot me an accusing glare. No, we don't. Unless someone wakes them up. I I didn't. The Jacobs, they said, uh, they said. And then I remembered what they did say. I took the note from my pocket and unfolded it. Ignore the whites. Ignore the whites. I... I didn't know what it meant. Of course it would be fucking Jacobs that get me killed. <sighs> yeah. Fucking John and his goddamn vacations. The old man on the couch was really massaging his shoulder now. Oh, God. Oh, my chest hurts. Just breathe, Simon. You'll be fine. It's just your asthma. A knock sounded on the door. A single, solitary rap that sent shivers down my spine. Don't answer it! Sarah grabbed the front of Simon's shirt and shook him. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. 
You're hearing things, right? There's nothing at the door. So why would I answer it? Uh, uh. He opened his mouth and closed it several times, eventually settling for a nod. Any leftover color had drained entirely from his face. After the nod, there was a beat of silence. Then an eruption of knocks sounded against the doors if every inch of it was being viciously beaten and kicked and at any moment may roll off its hinges or break to pieces. Simon had a look of pure terror on his face. His fingers dug into the skin of his chest as he tried to take a breath and caught in his throat. A low, gurgling moan escaped as he contorted and tried to rise from the couch, his eyes rolling back in his head. The gurgling moan turned into a rattle, and with a final dreadful twitch, he relaxed entirely and sunk back into the couch dead as stone. An empty pantomime of horror firmly fixed there on his face. On the other side of the door, the figures giggled, their voices like children. acknowledging the she stopped and took a deep breath considering her words <sighs> that there is anything happening here there's not everything is fine she looked at both of us we all turned together to look at the door we have to go outside I'm good, thanks. No, she's right. We can't just stay in here. No, I'm pretty sure I can, thanks. Sarah opened her mouth to say something, and then closed it while she chose her words. If you stay here, eventually they'll start appearing in here. And you'll be alone with them. You really think that'll be good? Fuck. She had me there. I knew on a level hardly above instinct. If I was left alone inside that room, I'd end up like Simon. Hell, I'd probably end up worse. At least Simon had the good fortune to die first. What do we do? Paul wiped his sweaty hands on his shirt. Look straight ahead. Don't react. Don't acknowledge that... Anything. Don't acknowledge anything. What do you mean? What'll they do? At the word they, another cacophony of knocking and beating sounded against the door. Sarah bared her teeth and hissed, making a cutting motion with her hand. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I don't know what'll happen. I just know it'll just get worse. Worse? How? Worse. My heart threatened to jump out of my mouth as Sarah took her place by the door, her hand hovering just over the handle. Ready? 
no. Paul nodded, and Sarah turned the old brass knob. She slowly pushed the door open, and it let out a long, aching creak. In the hallway now stood a dozen or more of them, a thin line running straight through the middle of them. Some faced us, some faced the wall. Some stared straight upward, their necks bent backwards at 90-degree angles like they'd been snapped. All of them smiled with eyes that saw nothing, and the light painted their pale skin the same dirty yellow color as it painted the walls. Sarah went first, then me, then Paul. As we passed the first one, a long black tongue slid from its mouth and licked its lips. No other part of the thing moved. The muscles in the face didn't move, as if the tongue was a tentacle slithering from a cave. I started to turn, but Paul dropped a heavy hand on my shoulder and squeezed, pushing me on. Did you guys see that movie that came out the other day? What? That movie. It just came out the other day? You didn't see it? I didn't understand what she was talking about. What movie? I saw it. That scene with the music. Absolutely amazing. Oh, wait a second, I got it. Before I could join in, though, we passed another of the figures. It leaned in close as we passed and opened its mouth. The same long tongue rolling out and dropping onto its white chest, emitting a shrill piercing noise that sounded like a massive cicada that was just inside the black hole. Yeah, it really showed what prisons do to people and how we just sort of, you know... Forget them in there. I'll have to go see it. Sounds like a really great story. I've seen the previews, but I haven't gotten the chance to see it yet. The screaming cicada was stopped after we'd passed and I heard a sound of a wet tongue sliding back into its mouth. We were almost there now. There were three more of the things on the other side, and then we were back in the coffee shop which from the hallway looked clear. At the end, though, the last two sidestepped like well-trained soldiers, blocking our path and locking arms as they smiled those empty smiles. Don't stop walking. I really think that's what the message was for the whole movie, you know? Don't stop moving forward. There was something in our way, though. If we stopped, it acknowledged they were there. If we walked through them, just bumping into them acknowledged they existed, right? My stomach dropped. We were fucked. Sarah was right up to them now. Here was where it all fell apart, I was sure. She stepped forward, right into where the two stood, arms locked. And... passed right through them? It was like she was walking through gray mist. They looked so solid, but the moment she touched them, they parted around her and I could see her on the other side, like we were separated by frosted glass. I took a deep breath and followed her. Every inch of my body shivered and grew cold as I passed through them. The smell was like the mist you get from standing beside a waterfall. It smelled fresh and good. 
It was strange and unnatural, and it made me shiver. I blinked and realized I was through now, standing in the blue and red light from the neon. Paul grabbed me by the arms and slowly pushed me forward. Outside, the gray light of dawn was starting to mingle with the street lamps. A man with a briefcase walked past on the sidewalk. I wanted to turn to see if they were still there, but I was frozen. I couldn't walk forward, I was too scared. But I was too scared to turn back to see what was behind me. Paul slowly guided me to a table. Sarah pulled a bottle from under the counter and poured us all large glasses of absinthe with a single ice cube in each. I sat with my back to the hallway. Sarah and Paul faced me, but never looked over my shoulder. They hardly looked up from their glasses at all. I sat there, nursing my drink. My brain reminded me constantly that all of them, for all I knew, could be standing directly behind me. And I wouldn't know. Couldn't know. And even if I did know, the only thing I could do was the same thing I already was. So I drank my drink silently. I was on the third when they came to get Simon's body. He had a heart attack, was all that was said. There were gestures, though, that indicated just what really happened. Raised eyebrows, bulging eyes, puckered mouths that couldn't say the words they needed. The EMS guys that carried him out, they knew. I'm sure of it. I saw it in their eyes. They knew. Everyone in the town knew. They just could never say they knew. That's the truly damning thing about them. You have to ignore them. But you have to talk about them to tell people to ignore them. Round and round it goes, a cycle without an answer. Until they pop up in some poor jackass's whiskey-fueled fever dreams, and he doesn't know what to do. And they've got him. I was probably over the limit when I drove out of town, but I don't think I could have done it sober. I don't think I could have done anything sober just then. Besides, on those old roads, the only person I was in danger of killing was myself. Paul walked with me to get my stuff from the Jacob's house. We didn't really talk. When we got to my car, he told me to come back if I ever got the chance, and he'd tell me about the town. He said there was a good explanation for everything. Promised there was. I don't think he really expected to ever see me again, though. When I drove out of town, the same way I came in, the billboards had moved. They were on the right side when I drove into town. But somehow they stood on the right side now as I left. They were still painted that Tom Sawyer white. But now, sitting on the edge and staring blankly into the noonday sun, sat a dozen of the whites, kicking their feet back and forth in the open air. I didn't look at them. I don't know if writing this even counts as acknowledging them. I've sat in the dark this whole time, and every time my gaze starts to wander, I bring it back to the lighted screen. All that exists for me right now is this little screen in this little dark room. If this counts as acknowledging them, they're probably here with me now. Dozens, 
maybe even hundreds by now, gathered round watching their story be told, giddy with excitement. I don't know. Truth be told, I'm too scared to look. the letters back in their envelopes. It's time to take our leave for now. The musical score was composed by Brandon Boone. Our production team is Phil Mykolski, Jeff Clement, and Jesse Cornett. Our creative content manager is Olivia White. Our editor-in-chief is Jessica McAvoy. I'm your host and executive producer, David Cummings. Please visit thenosleeppodcast.com for show notes and more details about the people who bring you this show. On behalf of everyone at the No Sleep Podcast, we thank you for listening and being a supportive Season Pass member and for being ever curious. This audio production is copyright 2021 by Creative Reason Media, Inc. All rights reserved. The copyrights for each story are held by the respective authors. No duplication or reproduction of this audio program is permitted without the written consent of Creative Reason Media, Inc.